0: Welcome to the Inner Revolution Show, where we take a journey within to uncover the inner resources deep within our soul to transform physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is through this higher sense of knowing we are able to design and live our lives with purpose, compassion, and for the collective consciousness. Are you ready to start your own inner revolution? Come with me. Welcome, everyone, to the Inner Revolution Show. I am your host, Dr. Renee, and welcome back yet for another amazing week. Every week, as I say, I know I sound like a parrot at this point repeating myself, but every week gets better and better and better. So we are halfway through season three already. 2019 is just about to come to a close so I really hope that you think about these next few months about the last things that you had really hoped to work on at the beginning of the year it is not too late next year is all about integration my friends so think about how you're going to put all these pieces together that you've been learning about in the inner revolution to bring that into 2020 and today's show I'm telling you is going to be an absolute amazing show that's going to give you some additional pieces to think about, especially if you are a parent or work with children. This person is phenomenal. And before I get to our guest, I just want to go ahead and say thank you again to everyone who continues to be a supporter of our show here. If you don't already, go ahead into iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to download the episodes for The Inner Revolution with Dr. Renee and go ahead and give our show a rating. We truly appreciate the feedback. So let's get started with our show today. My amazing guest is Tamika Murray. She is the author under the name of Tina Cole, and she is known for gifting the world through her gab and her divine inspiration. She has written a book, Inspired Legacy, and an online blog. And as a single mother of three, Tamika neither wastes time or an opportunity to teach, and that's what I love the most. And she definitely wants to spread her word, and I'm so glad that she's here with us today. During her many years of parenting, Tamika grew up to understand the unique symmetry between harvesting seed and raising a child and thereby earning an honorary self-awarded, that is, degree in agriculture. And she says, just like a plant seed, if it is neglected or not responded to appropriately, it will suffer or die. And so as the title of her book, Inspired Legacy, sort of suggests, she talks a lot about this great revolution, and she reminds us how important it is to create a healthy perspective for our children and improve this parent-child relationship and to allow these children to go on and inspire their own greatness and live into a fantastic life of their own. And I know that we can all appreciate that here on The Inner Revolution. As you guys know, I'm an educational psychologist and have worked as a parenting coach for many, many years. And this is so near and dear to my heart. So, my lovely Tamika T. Nicole, how are you today? <laughs> T. Nicole and Tamika are both fine. <laughs> Thank you for I love that. A lot of I. I tend to always say we when I'm talking about like my business or yes. my social media platforms or my family. I always yes. say we. And people one time said to me, is there another
1: person with you? And I said,
0: well, it depends who you who you ask because That's at times right. multiple personalities can be upon you, right? Absolutely.
1: So <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Fortunately, they are all of the same th- mind and thought.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm glad we get a two for one today. So yes. thank you for being here in the inner revolution. I wanna first tell the listeners that I met you as I do most of my guests, which is on the beautiful platform of Instagram. And there are so many creators creative, artistic, earth moving individuals and earth angels walking this planet that I meet on this platform, yourself included. And I remember you came across a post of mine where I was talking about the fact that children's shoulders, right? The famous quote were not created for, Mm. you know, the weight of their parents' decisions that, Mm. you know, I have been doing a lot of research over the years about intergenerational wounding and mm. how it impacts children and the, mm. really, really the need for parents to do their own soul work versus Absolutely. looking for how to solve their problem child per se. Because right. um, a right. child's never problemed, right? right. It's always about their, their energy and how they're reacting to us. And so Absolutely. when you came in and we got to meet and connect, and I saw the work that you were doing, I was so inspired. And can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you sort of got into this line of work?
1: Absolutely. So um, I think about it all the time that I think I was actually born with a baby doll in hand, meaning (laughs) I always, always, always sought out, you know, the nurturing uh, part of my Mm -hmm. personality and just really embraced family and children and and love from a very, very early age. Mm -hmm. So, of course, once I had my own family and my own children, you know, life happened. Yes. And when life happens, whether it's death, divorce, relationships, health, you know, the children are still there and they're still very present. Yes. So as a parent, you know, I had to, in turn, find ways to allow life to happen, but my children not be impacted by it. So they were extremely protected in that way. Um, and so I would say maybe a few years back, um, still not yet stepping into the, my purpose and understanding what all that really meant. I had a dear friend say to me, you know, you've been through a lot of fire. She said, but for some reason, you don't smell like smoke. And I Ooh. thought, wow, that's pretty powerful. I love powerful. that. Yes. I know. And, and I just thought about for anyone to be able to have that type of testimony, yeah. it's almost proof that what you've been through was not for you. You've been blessed through all of that. Other people from the outside may look like you've been through a storm, but to you, it's almost this wonderful Testament and story that I can tell that my children are great. Yet, look at all the things that I went through and they were able to be shielded from.
0: I love that. I love that. Can you say it one more time? How did she say it? Because
1: this is good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was like, You've been through many fires, but you don't smell like smoke. Mm. That's amazing. It is. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. And it's a visual too that, you know, I, I just literally had to say, You know what? I have. I have, you know, it was a really, really, it was a moment to, to, to have some real true introspection that you've really been through some things that could have killed you, could have taken you completely out. But, um, but, but fortunately you came out, you know, almost better than, so it's a real testament and, um, led me to today. So of course, hearing that and understanding that it wasn't about me, I needed to help others rise out of their ashes. And so Mm -hmm it propelled me to put in writing my story. I picked up my pen January 2018, but down the pen April 2018, published and released the book June of 2018. So that's a pretty aggressive timeline, but it was an absolute necessary uh, moment that I couldn't hold back the story anymore. I knew that I needed to get my, my story out there.
0: This is so beautiful. And, you know, it's something, as you probably know, that I read a lot about in my book, The Unbecoming, that mm. we are raised to believe a variety of stories, aren't we, and narratives that belong to a whole host of other people. Right. And much of the information that we begin to carry around, believe, internalize, live, doesn't even belong to us. Doesn't even belong to yeah. us. Yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot of people always ask me the question how do I know it doesn't belong to me? So, how did you figure out it did not belong to you?
1: Because I was one of those people that rose above it. And mm-hmm. so, if you can rise above it and it not technically impact you emotionally, physically, you know, I'm no hero, but I'm certainly a person that allows the situation to be, but the situation not to be me. Yeah. So, in order to be able to tell that story and and still have strength at the end of the story, it's not for you. You've got the strength to now go help someone else that doesn't have that same level of, of um, outcome. So I knew it wasn't for me.
0: Yeah. Amen. And, and so looking into the idea that if we're able to, show resilience and be yes. able to move on despite experiencing social, emotional, physical hardship, right. what have you. It's about what we do after that exactly. really shows that. Yeah. Beautiful. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. So, so my other question is, cause I'm very intrigued because <laughs> I have been, you know, again, as a researcher, a professor, you know, a writer for many, many decades now. And, you know, one of the things that really, um, you know, shows me as we know childhood trauma, childhood abuse, um, even, you know, vicarious learning mm-hmm. that children go through, even if they're not abused, even if they're right. not victims of things, you know, right. just being a product of certain types of environments, you know, can pick mm-hmm. things up, right? And, and live them Absolutely. out in their own lives. So, Absolutely. you know, I was once asked the question of how I was able to, you know, really protect my children amidst a lot of different stressful experiences in mm-hmm. my life. How were you able to do that? Um, to really, you know, make sure that they weren't affected by things
1: that you were going through. Right. So I'm a firm believer. And actually, there is a part of um, my writing that talks about truth parenting. Mm. And uh, it it basically means that I was very vocal, very present in their lives, meaning I didn't hide those things that were happening. I actually brought light to them, Mm. shared the experience talked with them through the experience, and I stayed very, very, very engaged with them. So I lived in their heads and their hearts through it all. Um, I think anytime you don't spend the necessary time to prioritize their thoughts, their feelings, and their emotions, you miss perfect opportunities to see where they are at any given time. So I stayed extremely connected, and I didn't hide what was happening. I actually called attention to what was happening, and that made them appreciate that mom cared enough to involve us, teach us through those moments and in the end if and when they experience those same things they have the learnings to get them through it as well so therefore you've got that generational mindset of how to overcome
0: beautiful and so you call that truth parenting truth
1: parenting i
0: love oh, it i love the it truth. you know and, and because it's kind of controversial isn't it to, in today's world about how much do we involve our children right. And in the processes of the living process. I know when I was going through a separation and divorce, the the court Mm. was very adamant about us not talking to the children. And and I did struggle with that a bit because, Mm -hmm. you know, as an educational psychologist, I do know how a child's mind works. And, you know, I'm in these classes and I know this is the government (laughs) really trying to do the best at being social and emotional. But in the same tongue, I sort of said, you know, I need to have conversations mm-hmm. with my daughter. She's the oldest. She is right. more aware of what's happening. Right. She's more affected. Right. Absolutely. And if I hadn't had those conversations about why my feelings were hurt or right. what I was you know, going through, you right. know, I don't think she would be where she was today. I yeah. totally understand. We don't need totally to share agree. anger. We don't need exactly. to fight. Yeah. Right. And so there's a fine line. Right. So can you right. talk about like, what's maybe some tips and techniques yeah. for our listeners and how Absolutely. do you navigate
1: the difference there? Absolutely.
0: I'm I'm taking notes too. So you just know I'm learning today. I like this. No,
1: no, this is actually a recent conversation I just had with a mom um, who has a younger child that, um, you know, she's in the middle of their divorce and it's a healthy divorce for the most part. The daughter's very um, in tune and spends time with both parents. However, the question was, I wonder how she's going to feel when she's, you know, 10 years older about this whole situation. Mm. And so I said, well, it's gonna be based on how you're communicating with her today. So here's the tips and tricks. You want to leave the child out of the emotional part of it all, especially as it relates to you, the person going through the divorce. If the lessons and the communication is solely based on the lessons and the um, changes and the impacts of the divorce, then the child's focused more on that. So you just need to separate what you are feeling and how it's making you feel because the child is not necessarily um, a part of that part of the divorce. They're experiencing a different type of change. And so if you're explaining the relationship and how it will change over time, but the love is still there and all of the dynamics that really impact the child and being very forward about that, I think the child gets through the divorce a lot easier. Um, And that goes with anything, whether it's divorce or any type of harm or danger that's happening around them. You want to take the emotion out of it in the conversation, deal with the emotion. But that's not a part of the growth uh, that you're looking for to be the learning and the teaching in the moment.
0: I love it. And it is important because as we know, kids can't discern the difference between our emotions and theirs. Their frontal lobe is not even growing, right? right? Not
1: mature at all. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And they they can't figure it out. They just know that they feel sad and and they feel upset. Yeah. And one of the things we know about kids is regardless of all the work that we do, there's still going to be a piece deep down inside that they wonder if it was because of them.
1: Their fault. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Did you ever have that come up for you in any of your processes of things you were going through?
1: Yeah. And it's not quite over. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, um, it's a constant reminder and even years, five, 10 years after divorce, you still need to check in with your children. You never mm-hmm. assume that that moment is ever over. And I've got, you know, 20 year olds now and um you know the divorce from their father was well over 10 years ago and it's something that i still check in about because you never assume that they're completely healed about it so i still check in so that truth parenting and that open moment never stops
0: that's beautiful and and i think what a testament to an understanding of emotional triggers and mm-hmm. the longevity of that imprinting Absolutely. right yep. and so Absolutely. yeah even if they're doing well at 10 or 12 yeah, something exactly. can emerge their first love relationship right. significant Absolutely. one rejection yeah. Absolutely! It oh, absolutely fantastic! Yeah. I'm I'm in love, 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 love. I'm <laughs> telling you, this is going to be one of my book club books coming up. Awesome! So I get ready, it. yes, awesome. get ready for this one. And um, I'm going to need a signed copy from you, sisters. So of we'll course. be talking about this in a minute. But, of course. Um, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> enough about me. But at this point. Yeah. You know, now that you're looking at your life in retrospect, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't it amazing when after you write the book and you're sitting back and you're Mm -hmm. getting people's reactions and responses to your work, what have they been telling you? What has been the the biggest aspect Mm -hmm. that people are connecting with?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that resonates a lot with the readers is first and foremost, that it it allows them to, you know, kind of parent with intention. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people parent just because it's a title, just because they gave birth, and they don't necessarily parent with intention. They're not aware of themselves, let alone aware of their children, because that's a very a much deeper aspect of parenting is being intentional about it. Yeah. Um, and so when you're intentional, you tend to be more disciplined. And I think that's been resonating a lot with my readers is that you know, I, I was never paying attention before to some of the things that the book calls attention to. They, they mm-hmm. weren't, their eyes really weren't open to that. They were just being a parent based on their experience in their own childhood and kind of repeating the cycles of their own childhood. So that's one of the first things. And I think that is extremely key. Um, and one of the second things that I actually think is really, um, uh, key is they became more available after reading the mm-hmm. book. Um, you can never spend enough time with your child. Uh, In the book, I actually talk about a moment where it's called debriefing. And, you know, it's a professional term, but it's something from the earliest of school ages with each of my children. When they walked through the door from school, it didn't matter what I was doing. I could be in an executive meeting at the time. I would put it on hold Mm -hmm. and I would give them that 15, 30 minutes, whatever it took to quote unquote, debrief their day. What'd you eat What'd you, who you know who are your friends who who made you mad? what happened and so, yeah. after many, many years of that, I mean, my goodness, they would walk through the door and sit on you know sit on a chair and they 're like i'm ready i'm here like wh- when are we going to debrief yeah. and they look forward to that time and I cannot tell you now in hindsight when I look back it 's how I know my children so well and they know me it 's because we had that daily touch point that just really connected us from day to day and now make us more than just parent child, but we're actually friends.
0: I love this so much because, you know, I have been made to feel guilty at parts of my life because I'm the same way, no matter what I'm doing you know, I walk across the street, I pick up my kids, I walk back home, you know, they come in the house. And if I have a phone call or something like right. that, it has to wait, it, it has to wait. wait. And I will not schedule a client at that time. And right. and other people who might be pushy say, well, this is all I have available. Right. I know in my life at that moment that it's not meant for me right Absolutely. now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we as parents have to do a better job of you know reconnecting and as you said that availability because i can't believe how fast 10 and a half years has gone exactly. by let alone to be when my kids will be 20 like yours exactly exactly we can't get that back and so right. this is so important in the inner revolution absolutely. for right. us connection absolutely yes absolutely i love it so parenting with intention and availability parenting. so yeah. So thinking about now that you've written this book and the process, is there anything that you would have done differently?
1: You know, Dr. Rene, no. Uh, And I say that. Yes, uh, I love it. Yeah. Interestingly, uh, when I thought I was done, probably latter part of March of that year, um, I was actually getting ready to send it off to print and press and and get it ready. And the divine... You know, comment came to my head, like, you're not done. And I'm thinking, why am I not done? It feels like it's done. I think it's done. And -hmm. there came the last few chapters. So I personally feel like taking that pause to write those last few chapters, put a seal on it, and it is exactly what I would do if I were to do it again.
0: This makes me so happy to hear you have no idea because, you know, when you can be so confident and proud in what you've done and accept the fact that there there may not be perfection. You know, my first edition of the book, I actually redid the cover. Mm. And I love this, the the new cover. And so I did a whole new launch for the book. And okay. so I reminded the readers who have the first cover, you know, don't feel cheated. I know that the, the okay. second one is prettier, but you know what? That's the first edition of the book, right? And it, then nothing can beat that. But exactly. there, were, there were typos. There were things in oh, there that I had missed. Yes. And, yes. you know, no one caught them. Nobody did it all but me. And I sat down at one point and said, maybe that was the beauty of the whole thing. You know? Absolutely,
1: yeah, and you'll notice, yeah, exactly. And I will tell you, I have a copy uh, pretty near me uh, that has proof on the front, and it's actually a real version of the book. But it's the copy that I've gone back to. And oops, that's spelled wrong. Oops, the comma <laughs> should have been there. But you know what? Right. I re- I remember that um, the confidence I had when I I sealed it, and the fact that I felt like it was divinely edited, and so. Whatever humanistic errors there are, I have to accept those because Mm -hmm. I'm infallible. I'm a perfect imperfection. So I don't expect the book to um, not represent that.
0: That is amazing. And I think that's also part of the story and the narrative that you're you're trying to tell the world is... You know, this whole new Mm. movement into Mm. greatness does not equate to perfection, right?
1: It's written in the book. Those are not the same thing. And I think a lot of people feel that to be great, you have to be perfect. And that's absolutely not the case. You know, greatness is being able to just see love when you're not surrounded by love. Greatness is, you know, being your best self, living out loud. And that doesn't come with perfection. Mm. Just be, you know, so- um, it's just amazing that a lot of people don't even, you know, as adults, and the book does spend a lot of time talking about, you know, inner, inner, you know, checking yourself and parents sometimes feel that because they're not coming from a perfect state that they can't raise great children. And that's true because you're not trying to be a perfect parent, trying to be a great parent. Yeah. Just
0: be a great parent. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And in, in your child's eyes, you're always great anyway, until Absolutely. you- Feel that you're not great yourself.
1: Exactly, and then they pick up on that, and yes. there goes the domino effect. Absolutely, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit about the connection to agriculture, because you know I, I'm born and raised in Ohio, so I can appreciate it. You know, but I mean, I was born in Cleveland. I didn't live on a farm, but but still, you know, lots of farmland here in Ohio, so we definitely yeah. have that connection.
1: Well, well, I'm even worse. I'm a Florida girl, so you, t- you know, there's absolutely nothing happening farming in Florida, except uh, so maybe some citrus. <laughs> But, yeah, that to me was the biggest eye opening the more I um, put the book together is I literally studied the art of farming, and oh. it's amazing to me that you know we often refer to our children as our seed, you know that's a common mm-hmm. um, uh simile that people use, and it's true. Um, you know, there's nothing about a seed crop. That The experience that it goes through that doesn't happen with your child. I mean, from the beginnings, and it's all discussed in the book, that even bef- when you're in dating phase and you're out looking for your mate, you know, that's no different than a farmer looking for his soil. He's got to find soil that has depth. He's got to find soil that has availability for water because it needs to you know, be nourished throughout the process of his seeds growing. And so that's no different than dating. You want, don't want to pick the first field you find. You, know, you don't want to just pick the field that's got the you know, uh, nicest dirt of, by, by appearance. But you want to study that dirt. You want to study that soil to make sure it's going to produce a harvest, a great harvest. So
0: where, Yeah, where were you 20 years ago? <laughs>
1: Tell me about it. Tell me about it. I mean, and, you know, it's, it's so amazing that, you know, a farmer, you know, when he decides that he wants to produce a crop, He puts in a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. And I think as parents, we don't do that. You know, we, we end up getting into mating situations. And before you know it, we've got a a harvest in progress Mm. and there's no planning. And so I talk a lot about the planning process. You know, do you have your, 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 your fertilizer? Do you have, you know, all the things in inventory you're going to need to take care of this, this seed plant as it grows. Um, And it's all the way through the cultivating process, the fertilizing, the pulling of weeds. That's one of my favorites. Oh, my goodness. Um, That sounds amazing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, as I think about it. Cleaning up the mess. Yeah, we got to weed out the mess. And, you know, that's an important um, component of that debriefing I did with my children. I was always looking for the weeds, whether it be a person, whether it be a teacher, whether it be an emotion. I was always looking for the weeds because weeds will suck the life out of them. And so you have to keep your eyes open for when those um, interruptions or distractions are in their path because, it could simply, it could take them out of their path, off their path. So the entire process from planting to harvesting is very, very, very symmetrical to the life of raising a child to harvest.
0: Wow. Absolutely amazing. And thinking back on my own life it it is funny because i did not have children until my late 30s um i you know really experienced great infertility in my 30s and had to go through a variety of different things but when i was finally blessed at 37 and 39 Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and now I have a 10 and an eight-year-old, but um, wow. absolutely amazing process. I almost had the opposite where I had too much planning time, <laughs> you know, to get lost in, right? right and right, and trying right. to overdo everything. And then when Girl, they showed up, it was like, oh, none of it really mattered um, to some matter. point, right? right? But. But I think, like you said, there is something to be said, though, to be prepared, because I do feel that, and and certainly young mothers can be of this Mm -hmm. mindset, too. This has nothing to do with age. This is all about emotional growth, right? Right. I was just a late bloomer emotionally, that's for sure. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I felt so good at that stage of my life, parenting 10 years prior, I would, I think I was a hot mess right. personally and two, right. you know, that my children would have succumbed to that pattern. So I Absolutely. love this, that you're talking Absolutely. about all of these steps that we take for granted that we need yep. to think about.
1: Exactly. Cause it matters. And, um, you know, there's even some some uh, exercises and, and uh, tool. there's a toolkit inside the book that helps you to evaluate some of those things. So it's not just telling you the story on how to do it, but actually helping you evaluate where you are. And that's wow. personally as well as with your mate. So I think that that was a great addition to the book, um, is that sometimes people don't know how to take the words and actually execute on them. So there are some mm-hmm. tools in the book to help you with that.
0: Sounds fantastic. Yeah. So, so thinking about your next steps, what's, what's in store? Do you have a second book or, you know, other things you're
1: working on? Oh my, several. Uh, (laughs) So first I'm working on a companion to the book because just like I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. you know, reading through a hundred plus pages and then closing the book going, what now? Right. Um, I've, I've even been told by some people, it's a very slow read because it makes you uh, do a little work. So I've got people that have had the book in their hands for six months and they're still on chapter three. And that's okay. That's That was the intent. So I'm writing a supplement, which will be a 21-day guide to greatness um, mm-hmm. that will go alongside the book. Um, I'm actually even um, stepping out to uh, turn the book into a curriculum. Nice. Um, I'd like to actually see the book um, support families and parents more in an educational way, step by step. Taking it slow, um, so that's you know the second thing that we're working on, and then yes, the actual second book is uh, has a twist. So my daughters, who are both of college age now, um, away from home, and it was very hard because they're only seventeen months apart, practically twins. Mm-hmm. So when they left and started to move on with their lives, it was like, oh my gosh, here I've written a book on how to raise great kids, and now I don't know how to let them be great. Oh. So the second book, yes, we'll talk about how to allow that harvest that you just cultivated to be great. You've got to kind of let go. And so that's very, very hard. And it's the, se- considering in, in my case, it's the second phase of parenting that I'm learning as I go. Um, and so it's, it's been a transition, um, but one that I feel that, you know, there's still, you still need to be a parent. And actually this is when parenting really begins is because you have to parent in a way that's more hands-off and trust that everything you did based on the first book is working.
0: Yeah. And and must have some self-reflection pieces in Absolutely. there too about, you know, who am I now who in this now? position, right? Absolutely. With them away. Right. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I, I have brilliant. clients like that left and right who once well. those children leave, and I'm a college professor, so I still have <laughs> their children. But um we right. don't get rid of them. You know, they come to me at that moment, which is so right. fun. But, you know, hearing the parents talk about how much they miss their kids and, you know, I'm like, Absolutely. well, what are you doing right now? And they're like, oh, I don't really know. And I said, right. you haven't thought about this? You haven't no. thought about or like your hobbies? Oh, God, you have all this time now. I'm, I have a exactly. tenant. My kids are only 20 months apart, so I understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just begging for time, you know, right. to myself. And now these right. parents have all this time and they don't know what to do. So. This is great. This is absolutely important listeners. You know, again, if you are now with children who are tweens and teens, it's now time to really start thinking about this so that you're not just swept up in the process of rushing them off to college, or they're moving out for their job, or they're deciding to go live somewhere and experience life or going into the military, whatever they're choosing, that you're not just going to have that, that shock when they leave and really be able to kind of grow into this. I love this. I think, you know, I really think that um, parenting organizations, schools, colleges, universities are going to eat up this curriculum. This is really fantastic. Yeah, and and as coaches too, you know. so right. Definitely let me know when that's available because I'm going to be buying that, you know, for myself. <laughs> for sure. Great. So. As we're getting to the end of the interview here, let's talk a little bit about, you know, as you're kind of looking back on your life and thinking about all that you've done in this process of writing and all that's still yet to come. I call it my sort of footprint in the sand question, your legacy. What is it that, you know, you really want to leave behind for Mm -hmm. these next generations to pick up and continue to work through?
1: Right. So. you know, of course, a lot of people think of legacies as once I'm dead and gone, or, you know, I'm not here anymore. And for me, my gift and kind is happening right now. It's right here. It's today. And I, you know, I I publish a quote often on my, my Instagram site and I repost it often. And it basically says that your greatest contribution may be some, may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my children, my children, and I have three, um, are my legacy. And they're a living legacy. All the children that I affect, they're my legacy. And so as long as I know that they're at their greatest potential and they're out there being great and that great revolution is just continuing and never stopping everything they touch turns to goal, then I know that that cultivation of greatness that I speak about in my book and that my soul cries out for is, is mission accomplished. And so it's a daily, every single day putting forth my best effort to reproduce one child, one seed at a time, uh, their greatness, and seeing their potential and never letting them see any less.
0: Oh, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I think, again, this is a testament to the whole premise of what is philanthropy. It is Mm. not to wait till we die for people to take the things that we once had and do something with. I mean, we're supposed to leave this planet with nothing. And, you know... Yeah. And I think about that as well as money and things like that. You know, everyone talks about these wills and, oh, what are you going to leave in your will? And I'm like, you know, I I think I should be giving that every day now to people, not accumulating that. So it's, this is a beautiful way of correlating that to parenting. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Love it. And so- Thinking about anything else right now related to to this aspect of greatness and raising great kids and really, you know, preparing ourselves as parents for when they grow up and they get older, you know, any last tips, suggestions, techniques that you want to leave the listeners with as they're listening to you today?
1: Definitely. I, I think that for a lot of the correction for our children, we kind of talked about it earlier, That, you know, when we see things happening in our child, we always think sometimes it's external um, and that it's the child. Um, But another quote that's really popular is when a flower is not blooming, you don't change the flower. You change what's around the flower. And so I I challenge every parent, every person that has any influence on a child to ensure they're checking themselves first. Um, More than DNA gets passed on to a child, it's everything they see, they feel, they hear. And so as long as we're doing the work with ourselves to make sure we're at our best self, then very likely that uh will be contagious and um you'll see the results in the child. So we owe it to them to be our best self and I just challenge every listener and every reader to make sure that they're doing the work to be their best self.
0: Absolutely and Breaking the intergenerational wounding, breaking all that again that we talked about that we have been passed down without our choice, without right. our voice, right. and our children don't have to continue to bear those weights That's anymore. Correct. This is where we get to sort of take that backpack off. And right. you know, I was even thinking about the fact in in my own life with my children. Sometimes I feel like such a hands off parent, which I really am not. You know, right. I, I almost kind of you know, if anybody's familiar with Montessori schooling. I think that that's sort of how I am indicative as a parent. I look like I'm not doing anything, but in fact, I'm doing a ton. And, you know, but I'm letting them lead the way. I've always been that way. And (laughs) even in their own emotionality and, you know, it's amazing how people's reactions can be very uncomfortable because they're so Mm -hmm. used to trying to control an right. uncontrollable situation in the first Correct. place. And so I love that you mentioned that. The other thing that you you sparked in my mind was, you know, as a public school teacher for many, many years... Um, One of the things that we think is that we have to just go to the school that's closest to us, if that's our only choice. And there's so many different methods and means. And we as a family actually did a variety of different schooling. We did Montessori, Mm -hmm. we did homeschooling, and now we're into parochial schooling. And we'll eventually probably transition to public schooling. And people say, oh my God, why are you doing all that? It (sighs) goes back to what you're saying. If we're going to raise children into greatness and we're just putting them in one type of environment environment For the most right. part of their life, how are they diversifying? How are they exactly. learning to adapt? Exactly. Right. You know, we don't want too many transitions. Right. You know, we were a military exactly. family, so we certainly understand that sometimes too much change can be too much. But, right. you know, right. it is important to give them choices and their voice to right. be
1: heard. They're all unique beings, therefore, their experience should be unique, and even unique can still be great. So I think that's a perfect thought that you're putting in the extra time and energy to assess each child based on who they are and where their schooling is more appropriate.
0: Yeah. And and at one point, both of my children were in different places, you mm-hmm. know, and people were like, oh, my right. God, that must be hard. It, yeah, you know, certainly was a little right. bit, but they were flourishing. They exactly. were loving that's every minute of it. matters, right? Yeah. Exactly. And now both of them are in the same environment, but yet my daughter right. has been asking again, can we go look at other things? You can tell <laughs> she's not completely challenged and content, right, which right, I love.
1: Right, right. And so, you know what, it's, it's so funny, because as you're saying that, I, I physically see myself moving a plant that's not flourishing in the pot of soil it's in. There and you we, go. So it's the same philosophy, re- yes.
0: exactly. You have to, because if I keep her there, what am I doing, right? It's like, yes, it'll be more expensive. Yes, it'll be exactly. a bit more time-consuming to drive right. versus walk. But this is what you're talking about. In order to yes. take it from seed to harvest and really That's be at right. the most bountiful crop that it's meant to be, guys, right. we have to do everything. And that means it's going to be uncomfortable for us as parents. Right. It's going to take work and time. Oh Absolutely. my goodness. I have taken so many notes today, which is <laughs> not typical for me in interviews. I mean, wow. you have you schooled me today. Wow. This is well. phenomenal. I love it. I love I when love I'm it. schooled. I am That's a lifelong awesome. learner. So likewise. And let me tell you, if you ever do workshops or things like that, you need to make sure you let me know because I will be the first one do to that. buy a ticket. I love it. Yes. Absolutely. So, so getting to the absolute end now, can you go ahead and let our listeners know how they can reach out, contact you, buy your
1: books, all that good stuff? Fantastic. Yes. Inspired Legacy is available online at the Amazon and Barnes & Noble online stores. And if you happen to be in the Atlanta area, it's available at the Nubian Bookstore in Morrill, Georgia. On social media, I'm on Instagram at By Cole and on Facebook at By 01. And always, always, always available directly at www.bytinacole.com.
0: And listeners, we, of course, will have all of this information on the Blog Talk radio page, um, as well as an image of this lovely lady for you to check out and her book. And so a link directly to the book. So go ahead and check that out. If you are following us on Facebook, of course, you can go ahead and leave a comment on the radio page as well, once you hear this episode, which will be airing on 10-10. 10-10. Isn't this phenomenal? And we started the interview at 11-11. So mm-hmm. there's something to be said about this interview. What do you think? I think
1: it's divine in all ways.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you, my friend, for being here with me today. Likewise. Thank
1: you so much. And Sisters for Life.
0: Absolutely, yes. And and listeners, again, do not miss out on an opportunity to go check out Tamika's page on Instagram, Facebook, as well as check out her website. This is a phenomenal human being who is doing such important work here out for parents, teachers, social workers. I mean, this stuff is just invaluable. Those of you who work with children and families, I think again, go pick up this book and get to know this young lady. Tamika, thank you.
1: Thank you, Dr. Renee. You have a beautiful day. You too. Love you to pieces. Likewise.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Inner Revolution. We will be back again next week with another amazing show. And as always, do not forget to go check out our show on iTunes and Spotify. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Inner Revolution Radio Show. If you haven't already done so, check us out on iTunes. And also check out our website at www.transcendentheart.com. Com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Dr. Renee One Life. Have yourself an amazing week.